Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast, where our goal is to lead people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Today, we'll hear a message from Pastor Chris Winford. Again, thanks for joining us. Well, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, would you please take them out and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. It is on page 802 of my Bible. So if you'll please turn that, I'd greatly appreciate it. The book of Ecclesiastes comes right after the book of Proverbs and right before everybody's favorite book, Song of Solomon. Can I get an amen on that one? Yes, 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 that's right. One of you is awake, praise God. The book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't have a Bible with you uh, this morning, there's several ways that you can follow along in God's Word. You can follow along on the screen behind me, um, or there are some uh, Bibles in the chair backs in front of you. Um, You can always look over at your neighbor's Bible. Just don't breathe on them, okay? But you can follow along on that one. But also, you can take out your, smart, your smartphone, smart device, and you can download a, an app called the YouVersion Bible app. It's a free app. Once you download it, um, you can click on what's called events. Inside events, uh, First Baptist Church Brunswick should pop up. Click on First Baptist Church Brunswick, and there you'll see my notes and the scripture, and you can follow along um, as we begin a brand new series uh, on the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, before, before we go into this book, I do want to take just a second to say a big thank you uh, to Ethan Floyd and Jeff Cannon for preaching for me over the past couple weeks. Can we give them a round of applause, please? Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you guys for using your gifts for the Lord. Well, today we launch a brand new series in this book in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. Now, I absolutely love this book. I love this book, and I think that you should love this book as well. Uh, Herman Melville, who is the author of Moby Dick, In chapter 96 of that great book, he said this, The truest of all men was the man of sorrows, and the truest of all books in the world is Solomon's Ecclesiastes. Well, I happen to agree with him. This is a book that that every believer, every believer should run to again and again. Uh, Not only because the book of Ecclesiastes, not only because it is the Word of God, and we know what the Bible says about the Word of God, that what? It is living, it is active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we know what Paul says in 2 Timothy, that all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful. That means the Old Testament is useful. It means the New Testament is useful. It is useful for, uh, to correct and to train up in righteousness so that every person, every man, every woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this book is extremely important because it is God's word, but also I believe with all of my heart that the book of Ecclesiastes is extremely relevant in today's culture. Now let me tell you why I believe this book and why I'm doing this series right now in 2021 as we launch this new year. I believe that this is a relevant book because you know this, we are living in a time where, where a secular worldview is being pushed upon all of us in our country. Amen? 
I mean, that's, that's just that's what's happening, and we are, we're being uh, pushed with this secular worldview. Now, what is a secular worldview? A worldview is a set of beliefs by which you live by. Secular means this, anti-God, anti-religion. And so, and this has always been throughout history, but it seems, it seems uh, more so now, but, but we are being uh, pushed and things are being forced upon us as a secular worldview. Now, let me give you a couple examples of what the world is trying to teach us, and and uh, teaching our students, teaching our children. But and here's some things that I wrote down about a secular worldview. See if you've heard something like if you've heard something like this before or not. How about this? The world teaches us that all of our problems are somebody else's fault. Isn't that right? Right now, just point to that person where you can blame. That's your fault, right? Uh, we hear that. That's taught today that, you know what, all of your problems, it's somebody else's fault. How about this one? Uh, how about this one? The world owes you happiness. Well, that's a lie right there, isn't it? But that's what we're told. How about this one? You'll be happy when you get everything you want, said every five-year-old. Amen? Yeah, we're getting older people make that same statement, right? Because uh, that, that's not true. You and I both know uh, there are people who have everything, but yet they are still not satisfied. How about this one? I think this is a, a, a one we hear a lot. How about this? Man is basically good and getting better all the time. I mean, we saw that in display this past weekend, did we not? Wow. But people, people believe this. And how about this one? This is a big one today. All beliefs are equally valid unless you're conservative or Christian. Isn't that right? But here's the things that we are being bombarded with in a secular world view. And the Bible's very clear about this secular worldview. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John tells us that we need to test every spirit that's out there. That we need to test the spirit to see whether or not it comes from God. And John says that there are many prophets, many false prophets in the world, so we need to be aware of those false prophets. And the book of Ecclesiastes is going to help us to develop a God-centered worldview. Because one of the conclusions, or the conclusion, uh, that the author of Ecclesiastes comes to is this. That you and I, the thing where you and I are going to find satisfaction is in two things. Fear God and keep his commandments. And if you develop that God-centered worldview, you are going to find fulfillment. If I could put a subtitle on the book of Ecclesiastes, this would be my subtitle, The Search. This is the search. This book, all 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, um, it captures the drama of all of our human being existence. This is a dramatic book. You know, as humans, we are made in the image of God. And one of the ways that we are made in the image of God is that we want to find meaning in our lives. This is exactly why a child can ask a million why questions in a row that it drives the parents to write about here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And all of these children, they ask those questions. You and I ask those questions. And in reality, a child is asking those questions because a seed of the image of God is within them that they want to understand their world. They want to understand the world, so they want to gain clarification. I received uh, uh, an email, this has been some time ago, from, uh, from a mom who, uh, whose first grader came to her with the dreaded question. Moms and dads, do you know what I'm talking about? 
Are y'all awake out there this morning? Huh? The dreaded question. Where do I come from? The dreaded question. And so the mom, she tells me the story. She, she said she, she took a deep breath and went into a detailed explanation of how conception works. And she said, after about 30 minutes, my first grader had a really bored look on his face and then said, oh, okay, Jimmy said he came from Atlanta. (laughs) And I just remember the mom saying, I had the sinking feeling I was answering the wrong question. (laughs) Well, well, in this study, and this is an introduction to this book this morning, in this study, we are going to find answers to the questions that the world is asking. And we are going to find answers to some very difficult questions like this. Where is God when bad things happen? How can I keep from becoming bitter toward God? How can I deal with the uncertainties of life? What do I do when I'm not sure of God's will? How about this one? When bad things happen, is it because I don't have enough faith? And then we're going to answer this question. This, this question kind of seems out of uh, context, but it is fully within context of Ecclesiastes. And here's this question. Are Christians supposed to have fun? You know, a lot of people think that Christians aren't supposed to have fun. But Ecclesiastes is going to answer that question. Believe it or not, this book of Ecclesiastes was one of the last books that's included in the Old Testament canon by Jewish people. Do you know why it's one of the last books included in the Old Testament canon by the Jewish people? Because the Jewish people thinks it's too much fun in this book. Look at your neighbor and say, I can't wait. Because there's so much fun in this book. As a matter of fact, the book of Ecclesiastes is often read, traditionally it is read in the Jewish synagogue during the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, what's the Feast of Tabernacles? The Feast of Tabernacles is a celebration time, a joyous time, a remembering when the Jewish people came out of the wilderness and they came into the promised land and they celebrate with these booths. They have a big a party. It's kind of like what I think, I think of the Shrimp and Grits festivals, what I think of about. I mean, it's just a joyful time, and whenever the Jewish people read this book, it is read during one of the most joyful remembrances in the Jewish theology. And what we're going to find out in this book, that there are over six different times that the writer of Ecclesiastes says this, go enjoy life. Enjoy life. Eat, drink, work, enjoy life. And so into this series, and, and, and I know some of you looking at me right now going, Pastor, do you not understand that this is the most pessimistic book in the Bible? Yes. But it's for a reason. It's going to tell you that we can enjoy life. And one of my goals and one of my prayers for this series is this, is that you and I will learn, and we can learn how to enjoy life even when we see our U.S. capital vandalized. Are you with me? You say, Pastor, you're crazy. I'm just going to tell you what Scripture says. And this Scripture is going to tell us that, yes, we can have joy. We can enjoy life even when that doctor calls us and he says that you and I or you have the dreaded C word, cancer. 
That even in those moments of difficulties and trials and hardships, you can enjoy life. Now, are there depressing moments in this book? Absolutely there are. But one of the great things I love about the book of Ecclesiastes, it is a great reminder to us of how short our life really is. See, we're going to see all throughout this series that, that this author is going to tell us that life is meaningless. Meaning this, that it's like a vapor, that it's gone. Once you're here, you're gone. The author is going to end up saying things like this. The wise man and the fool, they both end up the same. They die. Anybody feeling good yet? He's going to go on to say something like this. Why? Um, Why should I give all of my hard-earned money to give it to those who come behind me so they can spend it on whatever they want? I mean, he's going to be pretty frustrated. And the author's going to end up saying, because I'm going to die and he's going to die and I want to keep my money. That's what he's going to say. And he's going to say something like this. And it's a sobering reminder, but it's the truth. When you die, people forget about you. Isn't that right? They forget. You know, one of the things about being in the ministry is I'm, I'm faced on a pretty consistent basis with the death of loved ones. I can't tell you how many funeral processions I have been in. And all of you have been in a funeral procession before, right? What do you do when you see a funeral procession coming, their lights are on, their blinkers are flashing, what do you do? If you're driving, what are you supposed to do? Pull off to the side of the road. Question, how long does that usually last? Unless you're really popular, it'll take you a minute. And then you're gone. It's a vapor. And so the author of Ecclesiastes is going to say, listen, life is a vapor. We don't have a long time. And so the author is going to tell us that as we go through the valleys of death and with difficult questions and in the joys in this life, he is going to tell us, he is going to instruct us and help us to learn to live our lives by faith when the world won't behave like I want it to. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, I am, I am bored. Look at him right now because that's what it looks like right now. You are bored. Well… Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to make it through uh, the first three verses, so we will end the book of Ecclesiastes in 2023. Just hang on. Look at verse number one. We're going to make it through three verses. Again, this is just an introduction to this book, and we're going to look at a lot of scriptures uh, this, uh, this morning, so have your Bibles ready. Verse number one, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In verse number two, we come in contact with this word vanity. That vanity of vanities, it's a Hebraism, which means uh, when it's back-to-back, those same words used back-to-back, it's repeated multiple times, it means it's an emphasis. So the author wants us to know something. He wants us to know that all is vanity. It's a Hebraism. You could, you could liken this to when we say that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. It is an emphasis. This is a vanity of all vanities. That word vanity, it's the Hebrew word havel. 
And it, and it simply means it's, it's a vapor. One commentary says this, it's like a soap bubble. Everybody watch a soap bubble? It floats up and boom, it's gone. One commentary also said it's like smoke. It's just, it's wafting and drifting away. Uh, one of my favorite uh, descriptions of it, it's like cotton candy. You ever put cotton candy in your mouth? Doesn't take long, does it? There's not much there. And so it, so it, so it directly ties into this idea that, that, it, that it's meaningless, that all is vanity. Now, if we were to stop after verse number two, this would be the shortest book in the entire Bible. Amen? And it would be one without purpose. It would be one that would be quite depressing. Well, thank the Lord it doesn't stop. Look at verse number three. And this, is, this question in verse number three is the key to understanding this book. Are you with me this morning? All right, verse number three. What advantage does man have? In all his work, which he does under the sun. Notice that phrase, under the sun. This phrase is used over 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. You understand verse number three, you understand under the sun, you're going to understand this entire book. Under the sun means a living a life without God. And so the author is going to explain what living a life under the sun, living a life without God, what it is going to do in your life. It means living according to a secular worldview. It means living a life that rejects God, that rejects uh, religion. It's living a life where you want to do whatever you want to do, meaning that you want to find happiness in every single way possible except through the ways of God. Now, here's my question this morning, okay? Here's my question as a way of introduction. How in the world does this author have the right to come in and say, vanity of vanities, all is in vain. What profit does a man have under the sun? What, uh, what, how can this author say this? Well, in order to answer this question, we need to know who the author is. And here's what I believe will happen. When we read the scriptures, we're going to see who the author is and why he is able to write the book of Ecclesiastes and how that will apply to us this morning. Look at verse number one again. Verse number one, verse number one, the author is identified by three categories. First of all, he says he is the preacher. Everybody see that? The preacher. He's the preacher. The word preacher is the Hebrew word koheleth. Everybody say that with me. Koheleth. Now, the word koheleth, it literally means an assembly. It means a gathering together of people. And so the, the Greek word for koheleth is the word ekklesia, which is where we get Ecclesiastes from. So he identifies himself as the preacher who comes before, says, I am calling together an assembly. I'm calling together people to listen to what I have to say, and I'm calling this because what I want to say is extremely important. And secondly, the author says, I'm the son of David, and I am the king in Jerusalem. Well, let's see this from Scripture's point of view. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to identify this man, and you're going to see the application. We're going to work through a lot of Scripture this morning, but we're going to tie it together at the end. All right, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. What did I say? Yeah, don't go to 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Chronicles, like I said. You were listening. Oh, my heart is good. Thank you. 2 Chronicles. Not Corinthians. Chapter 1. 
All right, this is what it says. Follow along in your copy of God's Word on the screen behind me. It says this, Now Solomon, the son of David, established himself securely over his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and exalted him greatly. So very quickly, we know that Scripture is now interpreting Scripture. What we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 says, the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. So we know that Solomon, the son of David, and the king of Jerusalem. Look at verse number 7 in Second Chronicles. Look what happens. This is one of the greatest texts in the scripture about Solomon's life. Look at verse number 7. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I shall give to you. One of the greatest questions that God has ever asked man. You just, Solomon, what do you want? How many of you would love it if God came to you and asked you that question? It'd be fantastic. What do you want? I mean, I got a list, right? I have a list. It's not what Solomon said, though. But look what he says. Verse 8, and Solomon said to God, you have dealt with my father David with great loving kindness and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, your promise is to, to my father David is fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Now look what he says in verse number 10. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours? Verse number 11. And God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind, because you asked for wisdom, because you asked for knowledge, you did not ask for riches, you did not ask for wealth, you did not ask for honor, you did not ask for the life of those who hate you. Have you ever prayed that prayer before? Right? Just because you did not ask for those, nor have you asked for long life, but rather you have asked for, for wisdom. You have asked for knowledge. And you have asked to help to rule over my people. Here's what I'm going to do. Not only will I grant you wisdom and knowledge, but now I'm going to give you riches and I am going to give you wealth. Wow. So now we know this, that Solomon, son of David, king of Jerusalem, he's asked for wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. He's asked for wisdom and he's asked for knowledge. What a great prayer. What a great prayer that shows us what Solomon is like that gives him the ability to write a wisdom book and to talk about life. And talk about what brings us satisfaction. Now jump over to 1 Kings chapter 4. 1 Kings chapter 4. Now let's look at this. I want us to see, I want you to see what, how can Solomon speak into somebody's life at this book of Ecclesiastes? How can he spend 12 chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes telling us that something doesn't bring satisfaction? Well, look, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20. You ready? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm ready to read scripture this morning. Say that. There you go. Verse number 20. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. They were eating and drinking and rejoicing. Meaning this, when Solomon is in rule, when he's reigning, it's a good time. It's good. This is the highlight of, the Israel, of Israel's nation. Verse 21. Now Solomon, notice how, how big his kingdom is. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt, and they brought tribute, that means taxes, and served Solomon all the days of his life. Jump down to verse number 24. 
for he had dominion over everything west of the river, uh, from Tiphsah to Gaza, over all the kings west of the river, and he had peace on all sides around him. Everything is good. It is, it is plentiful. There is peace. Look at verse 25. So Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba. Verse 26. Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. This is a huge Huge army that he has. Verse 27. And those deputies provided King Solomon, all who came to King Solomon's table, each in his month. And look at that last part. They left nothing lacking. They had everything. It was good to be under Solomon's reign. Verse 28, they brought barley and straw for the horses and swift steeds to the place where it should be. Verse 29, now God gave Solomon, watch this, now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. So what we're seeing is that God has given this man the ability to lead people and to speak truth into people's life. Verse 30, verse 30, Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Look at this, verse 31, for he is wiser than all men, including Ethan, the student pastor at First Baptist Church, Brunswick. He's wiser than He-Man. That was my childhood hero, He-Man. Anybody, any boy know what I'm talking about? Masters of the universe? Very good. Got a whistle out of that one. Fantastic. Verse 32. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs of wisdom, and his songs were over 1,000. Verse 33. He spoke of trees from the cedar that's in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Now look at verse 34. And people came from all over the world to hear Solomon. Are you getting the picture? Are you getting the picture? He's been identified as the Koheleth, the, the assembly. I'm calling together an assembly because I know things. God has granted him wisdom. God has granted him the ability to speak of so many things into the lives of people. And people from all over the earth are coming to hear Solomon. They want to hear him discuss uh, things of their, discuss wisdom. And you read other scriptures, 1 Kings chapter 10 reads that, that Solomon had more riches than everybody in all the earth, and all the earth was seeking his presence. So what we see from Solomon is this, he had everything. He had money, he had houses, he had horses, he had smarts, he had wisdom, he had everything that you could ever imagine. He was not lacking in anything, nor were his people. This was a great time to be alive in the nation of Israel. The scholars tell us that Solomon wrote three books. Song of Solomon, when he was young and in love. He wrote it when he was, in, when he was young, when he was in love. And in the book of Song of Solomon, it teaches us what love and sex is supposed to be like within marriage between man and woman according to God's ways. Young and in love, Song of Solomon. Scholars will say that the book of Proverbs was written while Solomon was in his midlife. And he had come to understand some things and he's wanting to give his wise sayings to those who come behind him. But scholars say that the book of Ecclesiastes was written at the end of his life. But it was written at the end of his life and it's like a grandfather 
looking back on his life, and he is speaking words of wisdom to those who are coming behind him. But here's what you know. If you have read the book of Ecclesiastes, you know there's a different tone to it than Song of Solomon and Proverbs. Amen? There's something different about it. There is a seriousness about this book. Now, why is that the case? Why is that the case that Solomon, all of a sudden here in Ecclesiastes, all of a sudden, he gets a little bit different. He gets a little bit, he gets a little bit teary-eyed. You ever sat down with an elderly person, they begin to tell stories, and they kind of look off in the distance and they get that little tear? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know one of the greatest things that I love that I love in my life about growing up out in West Texas. By the way, my, my hometown got like eight inches of snow yesterday. Thanks for caring. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, my dad's family, uh, he was eight of eight. And most of his family lived within La Mesa. And so every holiday, everybody would go to my dad's mom's house, my grandmother, called her Mimi. We'd, we'd go to Mimi's house. Then I'm one of the youngest boys in the Winford family at, at, at that time. Well, there's some more now, but all of our get-togethers was sitting around with those much older than me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm just sitting around with, at that time I thought, man, I'm sitting around with some old people. They were like 45, 50, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm there now. You know, and as a kid, now, some of you students, some of you may not understand this now, kind of a different culture now, but back then, as a kid, you kept your mouth what? You kept your mouth shut. I mean, that's just the way it was. Nobody had to tell you that, but if you spoke, you got that look. Everybody had that crazy uncle with that eye going one other direction, you know what I'm talking about? They gave you that look. And you're like, okay, know my place, know my role. But when you would sit down around after you'd eat, right, sit around in the living room, people would fall asleep, somebody's snoring, but there's always a conversation going on, right? Oh, the things you pick up when you just listen. Oh, the things you pick up when you listen to those who have gone before you. Oh, the things you catch on to, what you learned about life. You learned about their stories. You learned about what got them going. They're not talking directly to you, but you're gathering it all in. Are you with me? This is Ecclesiastes. This is Ecclesiastes. This is, this is an, an older man who says, I want you to come and listen to me because I have some stories to tell you. And I want to tell you what is going to bring you satisfaction in your life. Now, if you've read the end of, of Ecclesiastes, you know that the conclusion that Solomon comes to is this. The only thing that's going to provide you satisfaction is fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. You will enjoy life when you fear God and keep his commandments. Now, how did Solomon come to that conclusion? Here's the story. Here's the story, and what I want you to do, I want you to picture yourself like you're a young child sitting down in that living room, and your grandfather is telling you the story of how he came to the conclusion to fear God and to keep his commandments. Is everybody there? Listen. It's 1 Kings 11. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. 
Now, if you're a child, you should say, uh-oh, right? This isn't looking good. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moabite, the Ammonite, the Edomite, the Sidonian, and the Hittite woman. Verse number two. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after the gods. And then this, let's picture this. Solomon held fast to these in love. Out in the margin of your Bible, write the word disobedience. Solomon is going to tell the story of his complete disobedience. That's where the negative and the pessimism comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in a state of disobedience. He's the king. It's great. Things are wonderful. It's, uh, money's flowing. Uh, victories are being won. Everybody's at peace. But, but here, he loved foreign women. It was going directly against God's word. And it says he held fast to those in love. Verse number three. He had 700 wives. Now, all the children come in to hear this story. 700 wives, princesses, and, th- and 300 concubines. One, two, three. That's 1,000. This guy, goodness gracious. Do the math. This is crazy. Now, as a child, you're like, oh, tell me more. Tell me more. And the last part of verse 3 says this, and his wives turned his heart away. Are you starting to see it? Do you starting to see life under the sun? Do you see it? Without God ignoring his ways, Solomon is on that track. Verse 4, for when Solomon was old, question, when was Ecclesiastes written? When he's old. Thank you. As a young one, that was good, young, old. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. For Solomon went after, he went after the, the asterisk, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. I mean, this is a downhill slide. Uh, just several years prior, God speaking to him, saying, I'll give you whatever you want, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. So like, yes, that's what I want. And now he's turned his back against God. He's living under the sun, and he's now he is devoting his life to other gods. Verse 16, and Solomon did what was was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord fully as David, his father, has done. Now look at verse 7. If you don't think it can get worse, it gets worse. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem. Now what should be in Jerusalem? The Temple Mount, where God says, you worship me, you worship me alone. Nothing Uh, nothing else should be number one in your life. Now look what he says in verse 7. And he begins to sacrifice to the the God named Molech. Do you know anything about the God Molech? Know this. Child sacrifice. Meaning he began to worship a God who agreed to killing children. Verse 8, 
Thus he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Question, do you think God is going to put up with this? Question, do you think God will put up with that in our nation and in our world? No, he can't because he's holy. Now look at verse number nine, circle that first word, now. The time has come. Now. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who appeared to him twice. So God has spoken to him twice about this already. Solomon, not only is he being disobedient, he's completely ignoring the voice of God. He knows what he is supposed to be doing, and he is choosing to do it anyways. Verse 10, and commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. Verse 11, so the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, here's Ecclesiastes, because you have done this and you have not kept my covenant, you have not uh, kept my statutes, which I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and I'll give it to your servants. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. In verse 13, he says, however, I will not tear away all of the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son, for my sake and for the sake of your father David and for the sake of Jerusalem whom I have chosen. And in verse 14, the peace of Solomon ends. Are you with me? You with me this morning? And in verse 14, it says this, then the Lord raised up an adversary. What a sad life for Solomon. Now, with that as context, go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And now let's read verses 1, 2, and 3 in context and see if you understand where Solomon is now going to go. Listen to this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Does he have reason to say this now? He's lost everything. I have spent my life. It's gone. And now he comes to the question that is going to be the main question throughout the rest of this series. What advantage does a man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? Meaning, what does it profit you to live life without God? His answer, absolutely nothing. It's meaningless. Question, do you think this book is relevant today? Absolutely it is. Because over the next several chapters, uh, Solomon, he's going to talk about uh, injustice to the poor. In chapter 5, he's going to talk about crooked politics. You'll be here for that one, I'm sure. He's going to talk about incompetent leaders. 
He's going to talk about materialism. He's going to talk about, he's going to talk about pleasure. And it's going to be a wild ride. But I know this, if Solomon was here, he would come back to us and say, there's more to life than this under the sun. There is life above the sun, and it all depends upon your relationship with the S-O-N, the sun. And so as we start this series, I pray that you will remember the words of Christ when he said this, I have come that you might have life and that you may enjoy it to the fullest. Amen? And so as we close today, I just want to encourage you, when you go to lunch, enjoy that meal. Enjoy it because it's a gift of God. Enjoy it. Enjoy the company. Laugh at the bad jokes. But enjoy it because Solomon's going to teach us if you want to find satisfaction, you fear God and you keep his commandments. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the life of Solomon. And I pray, Father, that we would learn from him. And Father, I pray that we will, we will learn that, that the book of Ecclesiastes points to the coming Messiah and points to the one who does bring us ultimate satisfaction. And Father, there's somebody here this morning who has not looked and turned their eyes to Jesus, who is the one who is able to give fulfillment through your death on the cross, through your burial, and then on your ultimate resurrection. I pray today that for those who are longing for satisfaction, they would look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray.